Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the VFA podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Scheinwald, the founder of the Mission Driven Group, and I've been a board member of Venture for America since its inception because I believe in its mission to bring highly talented college graduates to cities that badly need the talent, New Orleans, Detroit, Cleveland, and more. VFA helps populate these city startups so that, and the fellows plant roots and help, build, help rebuild the cities themselves by growing these ventures and creating ventures of their own. It's an awesome mission. Check out VentureForAmerica.org and learn about some of our amazing success stories like Compass and Bonza. Today, we have Amanda Moskowitz on the show. Amanda has been immersed in the startup world since graduating from Chicago Booth with an MBA in 2007. During a time when banking was still the hotspot for MBAs, she joined a startup, ShopText, and then she leapt to another mobile startup, Mobile Commons. As you'll hear, she was on the lookout for interesting startup ideas on her own, and she joined another Booth alum and launched Nine Naturals, a line of pregnancy-safe, all-natural beauty products. But one business wasn't enough, Amanda still spends some time at Nine Naturals. She said she has more than a foot in the door, but she also recently launched Stacklist, a platform that curates, curates lists of business apps so that startups can identify the best apps to use for their businesses. And I mean, applications as opposed to the apps in the, in the, uh, on your iPhone, so to speak, although I'm sure some of those are reviewed. Um, instead of asking your friends what to use for an email program or HR management, now you can find out what leading founders use and what they like and don't like. My firm, MBA Mission, has a stack list listing. Check it out. Amanda's personal side is quite relevant. She's married to Brad Hargraves, who co-founded General Assembly and recently launched Common, a co-living space. We're going to focus on Amanda, but the, the lives of two serial entrepreneurs will inevitably be, in, be intertwined today, I'm sure. We welcome Amanda Moskowitz to the VFA podcast. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Well, thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, I guess we were talking about Christmas beforehand. I guess I guess both of us learned a little Christmas lesson about New York and Christmas uh, about a month ago, uh, which is you don't try and travel to Midtown when they're lighting the tree at uh, at Rockefeller Center. So we were supposed to have Amanda on a while back, and she was like, I have been in traffic for a long time. And Leandra, uh, who uh, who works with for VFA and who is immense help with the podcast, uh, was here, and she was like, I bet you it's because of the tree lighting. We're all we're all like, oh yeah, the tree. So. Well, I, I the um, events that can slow you down in New York obviously can happen pretty much any day. Actually, when I got married, uh, it was uh, very shortly after some of the hands up, don't shoot protests. Um, they they were starting to there right. were some kind of every night. Um, the day of our wedding, there was one on Sixth Avenue, and we were on the other side of Sixth Avenue from where we needed to be. So the 
the long and short of it is that I walked through a protest um, who's, who's people who are talking about like things that I feel pretty strongly about too so I felt weird about trivia feeling like I might be trivializing that like walking through with right. a photographer right. in your wedding dress and high heels <laughs> and you're just like forwarding this protest but we ended up walking a mile to the wedding <laughs> oh god wow it was really crazy so I really I should learn that things happen in New York often <laughs> well I mean uh, I maybe I, I, I intend on talking about this at the very end but maybe we'll talk about this at the beginning I didn't realize you got married that recently I, and I, but I had read the I'd read this lovely article that was written about you and your now husband um, Brad Hargraves on uh, in the New York Times they profiled you in the wedding section so if anyone is interested they can they can google your name Amanda Moskowitz and uh, and Brad Hargraves and see a lovely article about how you guys met and um, and I guess that leads to some, some, a reverse question here, uh, reverse in sequence, but no one would know if I didn't even mention it, which is that, you know, you, so, so Brad was, he, he's a, he, he co-founded General Assembly. Um, yes, yes. And as now, he recently launched Common, which is like a co-living space. Yes. A really interesting project. And, um, you know, you um, are also a serial entrepreneur, as we'll, we'll get to in the interview. What is it like to have two serial entrepreneurs, you know, living under the same roof? And is it something that you just, like, can't shut down? Or are you guys, like, watching TV and, like, I got this idea, or let's troubleshoot this problem? What's it like? Uh, well, you know, you have to qualify that with, like, it's the only, you know, situation we know. You know, right. we're both the only people that the other person has been with for any extended period of time in a relationship and, uh, you know, living together, certainly. So um, it's it's frankly great. I mean, I think that our, you know, living with another entrepreneur and having him be my partner in life actually kind of makes most of the stuff that I work on a lot more fun than I can bring at home. And it is something that kind of adds to our marriage, and I think likewise, my, uh, you know, getting to kind of share that with him is something that makes a lot of the the work that I do more enjoyable and more interesting. So, I, you know, it's great for us. It is though very intense. It's you you know this, Jeremy. You don't leave it. You know, it doesn't like stop when you leave the office. So it's always going to be that way. And I think I think Brad would agree with me on this. It's kind of just nice to be living with someone and sharing your life with someone who kind of understands that mentality. On the other hand, every once in a while, I think it would be nice for one of us to be saying, like, <laughs> let's just go somewhere for the weekend and like turn off the, the iPhones. I mean, I, I, I don't know if anyone does that nowadays, but you know, I, I, I can see some situations where it might be nice if one of us were able to kind of jump out and say, hey, let's not think about business for 24 hours. And I, I don't know if, I think it will be many years before before that happens. Right. So yeah. I think I think you're right. I, I, I do know that, know that. I think the only thing that's preventing me from working nonstop around the clock, which is what I previously did, is my wife. You know, that's the, I would otherwise just be. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd still be 16 hours a day or 18 hours a day sometimes at the office, which I I loved, but was a crazy way to live over the first I don't know eight years of my business or something like that before I met her. I mean, I think that we've concluded that no matter what. But the cats cannot go into startups. We have to have some balance in the apartment, and like 
If they want to go out and do something, it just can't be a startup. <laughs> <laughs> they have to get a real job. That's, that, sound, that sounds fair and reasonable. So we were talking, um, we were talking a, a while back, actually, uh, about um, like you loved your first job, um, and like I tend to think of, of entrepreneurs as like misfits who don't really fit in. People who maybe couldn't. Like I feel like that about myself. I just I just couldn't make it within a company, and um, and. Tell us about your, that first job at ABC and, and what you loved so much about it. I will tell you, but I would like extend the logic that you were just putting out to say, well, I didn't make it in that company. You know, It lasted for three years, and there wasn't anywhere to go. There wasn't any kind of next step. And I think in, in, in certain ways, it was... You know, it, it was a misfit equation, though not quite with the level of daily misfitness <laughs> that, that you might be thinking of. But I was at ABC, and I was basically, I worked between Nielsen and the primetime day part on ratings. So that just meant that I would talk to any department at ABC or Disney about what was going on with the ratings for the primetime shows. Um, and it, you know, it, on, on one hand, it was, it sounds like it would be kind of a straightforward thing. On the other hand, if you kind of listened and had conversations with people and got people interested in interesting questions, you could be talking about ratings with someone in finance, you could be solving problems on like how to pace out the plot of a show, you know, it's a lot of work with the programming department. So there was just a, a ton of interesting stuff that was going on, and it, it was a great job because you got to work with every part of the business. I mean, it's the currency, or it was at that time, and still probably is, is significantly so. At least uh, ratings or the Nielsen ratings were the currency of the industry, and so that that was a great place to be. And, and you had like a tremendous exposure at ABC. Like you were working directly with Michael Eisner, who's like for I don't know if our crowd is a little too. <laughs> Too young, but I mean, but I mean, yeah, he's like a business legend. Yeah. He led Disney for what I don't know, 15, 20 years, and and uh, it's like an icon of business. Yeah, um, pretty early on, uh, I was just invited by my boss to. He's like, "Will you write up this analysis and send it to Michael Eisner?" And it, I mean. That was within the first year of my, you know, of, of my job, and that was thus within one year of graduating from college, and so that was a huge opportunity. And you know, it 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 was something. I mean, every day from day one, I was sending out emails to hundreds and hundreds of people in the company, just with you know data updates and basic stuff. But yeah, no, they they I I was lucky to work with a team of people who were like do whatever. Do whatever you want, like push it. Yeah, try mm. to try to be funny in that analysis. I mean, I, I never succeeded <laughs> in that, but I did try and to make those analyses entertaining. Um, but yeah, it, it was a great job, and and um, you got to see a lot. The company at a low point, um, a very low point in two thousand. Two, and then a company at a very high point in 2005, which is when Lost came out, Desperate Housewives, um, uh, several other shows that just brought ABC, I think, back to number one in prime time. And it was, I look back very fondly on that experience. Right. But it had to leave because it was television. These are still networks that, you know, kind of work on pretty old structures. They were, you know, the, these are companies that were still operating with all the same principles and operations as though they were still a third of the country's 
entertainment mm-hmm. on television, and and that's that was that was starting to change. I mean, many years before I came, and um, but suffice it to say that there wasn't looking ahead in my job. I was like, this is, I think there's there might be more interesting things, and so. Right, and so like ABC is 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 um, is doing really well, and you're you're maybe a misfit, but also enjoying um, aspects of, of your time there. Yeah, <laughs> and so why leave? Like why go why go to business school? I mean, I left because I looked at other jobs in television. I could find nothing else that would give me the I had it, the quality of job of I think the, the the type of job that a person you know. 5, 10, 15 years my senior would have. So there was no way I was going to be able to get to do the stuff that I was getting to do there. On the other hand, it just felt very limited in, you know, potential upside for, you know, like how quickly could I grow? Um, Could you launch projects within the organization or, or, you know, start, you know, projects on the side or startups within ABC? Not not really. And and, um, so it just... It was honestly, I just uh, decided to go to business school because I thought there was nowhere else to go that I was going to enjoy as much as that right then. You know, but I knew I wanted to leave television and um, and so yeah. I, I always felt like I, I was a pretty happy misfit even at business school. Like I felt like I was different, but I still like really fit in well and yeah. enjoyed people and stuff like that. I mean, did you feel like you were kind of like I'm doing something really? I'm of a different mentality and doing something different at business school, or do you feel like, hey, I found I found my tribe here? Uh, I think happy misfit is probably something we should. That is an interesting concept, right? You just said that, and it sounds really cool. Maybe <laughs> that could be trademark an, that an ongoing. Um, th- th- yeah, uh, yes, at business school I was a happy misfit by accident. Um, I did kind of decide I would go. I think you at one point asked me what was my focus. I pretty much thought, well, I'll be a consultant because you know that'll just like get me. That's something. It's a good thing to do. It kind of spoke to a lot of the things that I enjoyed doing at ABC. Um, and w- upon arriving at business school. It was very clear to me how valuable the entrepreneurship program was there. It's not, it wasn't then certainly the country's most famous entrepreneurship program. It was at University of Chicago. It's called the Polsky Center. And they had phenomenal programming. Um, They had great classes. They had a lot of resources and everyone on board. It was like a little startup in and of itself at that point was just driven to make this work. And it was very clear very early that this was a tremendous resource. So I started getting involved and I would say within a within a, a month I was pretty set that I would that this would be kind of my focus in grad school, that I would take advantage of these resources, you know, meet these interesting people, um, learn a lot as much as you can um, in the classroom setting and uh, in that way, there were very few of us, you know, just the numbers make you a misfit. There were like 15 of us that really stayed with that program and, and all nearly all of us went on to do company, you know, to be in startups, to, to start companies. But at that time, the market was very good. So most people were thinking, oh, why don't I, let me be smart about my career right. and like pay off my loans and go, you know, 
into a bank or go work for one of the big three consulting firms. And so that, that's what most people did. I, and, right. This and is so, like 2007, yeah. as, as like right before the crash, and a lot of people don't know the crash, crash is coming. So it's yeah. like big bonuses for banks and consulting firms. I would say no one knew the crash was coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but except for those big short guys, they all knew. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there, there were. I think everyone, I, I would say that we were uh, happy misfits uh, and, and certainly misfits that everyone, you know, un- respected. I, I think almost everyone that I was friends with at Chicago was very excited about the things that this small group of us was doing, working on what we were interested in. And so, yeah, it, we weren't doing the thing that most people were doing, but it was a great situation. You, you know, and, and still, I feel like all those people are out there rooting for you. We had a bunch of, M- of MBAs on the show, um, <clears throat> you know, from all sorts of different top schools that have went on to start a bunch of exciting things. And yet, I think people don't really know that there aren't. There, it's actually it is a, it's, it's a small tribe within the tribe at, at, at almost every school, even including Stanford, where, which has like, the largest number of people who go on to start ventures. It, it's it's they're one of the few that's in double digits uh, mm-hmm. as a percentage. But uh, you know, you had a, you had a small group of uh, people who who you were with at Chicago Booth. I mean, and did they all? Go on to to leave school with you and 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 start things and join startups. The I, the everyone that I can think of off the top of my head of that kind of core group. I mean, many people. The, the, some of the entrepreneurship classes at Chicago. The, these were some of the most popular classes. And many many people participated in this in some way. But the um, but yes, this kind of core of us that really kind of sat through every single thing that the that the program that, that the Polsky Center had to offer. Yeah, I think everyone I can think of, the farthest anyone went was VC. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. After graduating from Chicago Booth, you joined ShopTex, which um, uh, I pulled this quote as a mobile shopper marketing and loyalty firm that operates a SaaS-based mobile platform for connecting with consumers. Anyone, you can you can you can uh, press the back 15 seconds to listen to that description <laughs> again and see if you get it. If you dare. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, ShopTex raises close to six million dollars, and it's interesting. Like in 2007, you described that. You, well, the, the, you're t- talking about a company in 2007. You described it as as pretty chaotic. Um, and in talking to different different entrepreneurs who were in the part of the first tech boom, they're like, that was chaos, but then firms have grown up since. But so I was, it's notable that you mentioned that even in 2007, some of these companies were really chaotic. Was this kind of like the good, whimsical chaotic here, the, the happy misfits, or was this the inevitable like chaos and not-so-good chaos of a startup? Chaos is not only probably required and <laughs> inevitable to a certain extent and it always is until it's bad and, and it's that is that thing that only kind of you might even only realize it's gone bad you know six months in the future right. the, uh, when so you you read a kind of jumbly mission statement you know um, you probably I, I think that there's some connection there to just kind of how complicated, you know, the, the length of the mission statement, the right. what is it kind of question right. <laughs> you have on your mind after you read it. I think that's a little bit connected to you know why I described it as a chaotic company, and and I don't think that it 
is at all different, you know, especially in the early days. Like, it, it, it was, what is your identity? What are you trying to do? What is the value you provide? What are the services you're going to provide to your clients? I think there was a true lack of focus. And I think that there was a time in during which, you know, we should be going out and saying, okay, you know, maybe we should try this, maybe we should try that. Like, there is a reason to explore this, and I think it's very sensible and very good, and I think, you know, startups should kind of welcome that in the early stages, but that does have to stop at a certain point. You, you do have to focus. It's necessary for strategy, it's necessary for your economics, and um, it's necessary for learning what will, you know, what the future of your business can be. It's also necessary for the kind of happiness and in good um, uh, positive morale of, of the team. So I think that, that the reason I describe it as chaotic or that's kind of like the um, main descriptor of how I remember it is we didn't find our way out of that um, out of that we didn't find our way out of that question of who are we and what are we doing? While you were there or ever, did the company did the company I make believe it? that they, I, I, I do not believe the company made it and right. made it, yeah. So as someone who's like founded two companies, you know, Nine Naturals and, and Stacklist, looking back, I mean, w was there anything that could have been done to control that chaos? Could you, could you look back and say, well, you know, if I'd been there and been like a, you know, been a founder, I think I could have done this and, and maybe this thing could have worked or was it just a doomed company? Uh, that's, uh, you know, it was probably not going to succeed. I mean, it's, it's very complicated. Uh, what is the word? Counter counterfactual. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I I'm flattered by <laughs> you thinking I can I can cast myself into the alternative universe and give an answer for that. But um, no, it's I think that there there are a few reasons that it probably was not going to work. I, I think that there wasn't kind I think that there was kind of a, a visionary balance, um, somebody who was excited to explore these pathways and there wasn't kind of like the the other force in the company where another person said, like, why are we doing this every single time? And, you know, why are we doing this? What's the upside? What's the downside? What are we looking for? Um, and, and you need that balance, um, whether it's coming from a co-founder, whether it's coming from your co-workers, you know, it's just, or, or, or you're a person who can just kind of work between those two tensions yourself that I think was missing and so you know one person gets carried away in ideas and vision and there's nothing to, to tether them right it's that can that can be very harmful to a company so, so you're you know you leave um, you know you leave shop text and what was the process like like you, you joined um, you stayed in the mobile space and you joined mobile Commons as, as, as the general manager was there, was there, as someone who's now a serial entrepreneur, was there, was there an idea that was burning in your mind at that point where you're like, okay, maybe I do it now, or maybe I just get a little more seasoning, or how did, how did the process of, of, of getting a real job, uh, in quotes, um, how did that play out at that point? Uh, there are a couple things that um, happened at ShopTix that were hugely important. Um, I can't emphasize enough how glad I was to have gone there. Um, the most important thing for me that happened there was becoming quite sure that this was the right place for me. And by this, I mean startups. I had no doubt. Um, good things, bad things, whatever. I was very much knew I was in. So that's that's a pretty significant thing to learn. And not everyone gets to find that out 
as early as I did no for long, myself. No longer a happy misfit, now just a happy fit. <laughs> or ever a happy, yes, exactly. That's 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 a good way to say it. That's interesting. You're a happy fit amid chaos, even like that. You know, you talked about being chaotic, yeah. but it was still uh, something that, that that invigorated you. Oh, absolutely. And chaos is part of every startup. I mean, sure. we know that, right? It's just. Um, it, you shouldn't be looking, what you want is at some point you're looking back on your company and would say like, it was chaos, and then we figured this out. Right. And then like, and then we grew. And then maybe a pivot happened or a shimmy happened, as one of my friends would say. <laughs> but you know, you don't define, that. I think that the, that's a critical thing. You find your way to a, a very um, oiled and well-functioning company. Um, the other, I think, really significant thing that happened for me personally was, the messaging space. And I just kind of fell in love with this medium, messaging, SMS, uh, and I was pretty immersed in it. You you develop kind of some wonky knowledge about this industry. I mean, perhaps this happens in any industry, but you, st- you just know a lot, right? And right. There, there's a lot in kind of the guts of messaging and, and, and what happens kind of generally in the telecom world. Um, and also, so it's like you have all this knowledge, and then you also have like all this knowledge about the potential of this communication medium. This is the most democratic medium on the planet. Everyone has access to it. Um, the what you can do with messaging is incredible. The response rate, the engagement, what you can do with health, education. Mm. Um, emergency management, what you could do with immigration, naturalization, just the, the use cases are, are incredible. And what what evidence is out there is extremely positive about its impact. And so I was I was hugely excited about this. So the opportunity to work at at Mobile Commons was just not a question. And they're a very talented team. And still are. They're they're the company is doing quite well and it's just really talented team. So the, the company is doing well, talented team. You were there for a year and a half and in our pre-interview you said you just found yourself sort of like drawing a line at that point, determining that you had had your impact. What, what did you achieve at, at, at Global Commons and why was it time to move on? Uh, mobile Commons. So th- there Sorry, were mobile, a couple of... Did I say yeah. Global Commons? <laughs> no. Mobile Commons. I apologize. Uh, it's... Um, yeah, so why why did I move on? You know, I think I didn't really kind of I think looking back it maybe there wasn't it wasn't really a role for a general manager. <laughs> you know, I think looking back at the conversations it was it was like uh it, the company was doing pretty well, you know, number one. Um number two, I, I think that one thing that I was started to kind of crystallize was as much as I loved this industry, it has a certain challenge in scaling. And a lot of that comes from how um, short codes and messaging is managed on the carrier side. I could go into the details or not, but it's just, it is hard to get a short code up and it's hard to maintain it. It's not impossible. It's certainly very doable, but it's actually, it's it's a hard thing to scale. I think when you have um, a situation like that with, you know, you have an entire industry um, of startups and companies that are going to have trouble scaling and I think as a result you end up like the company becomes feels begins to feel like like more of an agency kind of model and um, and you know there's still lots of value in the services and in products that were being provided but um, you know the the there's much more human service involvement you know working with people on the campaigns and and this was not something I was at that point hugely you know that that, that, that was just kind of not the right fit for me, and and so I still had this like 
vision of something that was scalable, and that was the kind of company, like truly scalable, and uh, that I was interested in working on. And um, so, yeah. So you left, and you went. According to the mythology, you left and you went traveling with no clear plan for a return. Is that the case? I went traveling for 15 days with a very clear plan of return. There was a, there was a, there was a, well, um, I, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. I can tell you exactly what happened, but it was. I'm there, so glad I did that so dramatically. No clear plan, 15 days. It was 15 days. Um, I, <laughs> there's nothing satisfying that I can say now. Um, I, I actually it was my first vacation since I had left business school, and so at that point it was it was nice. It was just stepping away. I'd only taken a week after graduating and starting at ShopText, and so I had pretty much gone from one thing to another. And as you know, when you're in a company, you really don't take vacation. You know, it's it's just not the same concept. So I went to Asia to visit my brother and had fun, and then came back and said. <sighs> Okay, I'll take one month, and I'm not, you know, I had decided this many months prior that I was just going to take a month and not not do anything because I wanted to be smart about what I chose next. And I knew I still had this strong temptation, you know, this messaging had really been my life, and I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. So, so with a, a well-established career in mobile technology, you did the logical the logical connection yeah. to mobile technology and went into pregnancy-safe beauty products. Yes. How did you find yourself well, because <laughs> founding, it's uh, founding a Nine Naturals? It's a wonderful company. And I think that's like number one. Like it's just a great business. It's a great com- It's a company that was ready to be started, if you will. And and I think I'll put started with an asterisk beside it. But um, no, that, that month I just, and I would recommend this to any person who's like remotely in a similar position. So take take a minute. Like if you are not sure what you want to do next and you're, you know, you see yourself having a pattern, which I certainly had, um, you take t- t- take a beat. And, and that's what I tried to do. So I just you know, I remember just kind of committing to myself that I was not going to agree to anything. I wasn't going to interview for positions. I wasn't going to, um, I just was going to listen. And so I let all my friends and startups know, hey, I'm, use me for this next month. Like, I'll help you with whatever you're working on, beta test this, um, go through slides for that. See if you know. I just wanted to know what people were doing and kind of like sit back and feel the inspiration for a few weeks, and and that's kind of how Grace and I started working on Nine Naturals together. She had developed already these exquisite products, and um, it was kind of time for her to have a kind of partner in in getting everything up and going as far as like selling, and um, it was just it was a great match. It was good timing and. We liked each other. I knew enough. I did know a, 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 a little bit about what she had been doing before, so I hadn't been too distant from this business. But um, yeah, we we worked together for a few months after and decided, all right, let's let's really do this together. And um, and one thing led to another. Sales went up. We started learning what levers to pull, and um, so we really grew quite a, a good online business. And um, more recently, we actually licensed out a large part of the business to um, a partner who has a lot of experience in natural products, and they're growing it into retail. And so 
the company is in like it's a really just great little company right. <laughs> that we just love running together. We like working together. We are you know. So I'm, I'm curious about the decision to work together. Like you, you were friends prior to that. She was part of your part of your network, and and that's we, how we the were idea. friends through the business school network. And frankly, kind of became a little bit closer friends just as like entrepreneurs and people in the startup world. And was there? Did you guys have like? A talk, like I've I've been involved, and in, I was involved in one briefly, one startup where like I, you know, I'm no longer friends with the guy. It just was like it turned toxic quickly, and mm -hmm. and it's, you know, still sort of a sore point for me after all these years, as as crazy as that is. Like, and so anyone that I'm engaged with in business who's friendly, even just for advice, I'm like having a good talk with them beforehand. Um, so gun shy about these yeah. things. That, like, how did you guys, as people in the same network, and you know, how, how did you? Decide like okay, this is this is kosher. This is gonna work. And were there any ground rules for your for your relationship? Uh, I, not that I can I, I cannot remember ever sitting down to say we will do this. Remember, I was really in a cautious mindset at that point. I was like, I'm gonna be really like thoughtful about what I invest my time in. So part of that was saying like, do I like working with this person? And she was having the same kind of internal conversation about me. So we had kind of time like. Uh, you know, a little bit of time a to probationary kind of, period that you exactly, worked together? to okay. kind of figure that out. And and we would I go back and recommend anyone like go into business with their best friend? Like probably not. But things have worked very well for me and Grace. And right. I think that part of the reason is we're very much able to communicate with each other. We we in in and we like there were early fights and there were early arguments where and I'm sure she would say the same thing if she were sitting here like we thought oh my gosh how are we ever going to get this company to a better place mm. because I feel this way and she feels that way and where will the two meet um, but I, I guess we worked our way through those and now we can have those really big discussions and frankly even have heated <laughs> angry ones and know that on the other side there's a better outcome. It's a very good place to be. I don't know how to replicate that. Um, and yeah, I, I think it is. I think startups are generally personal and it, it's, it's a hard thing to find a partner like that. And we've had so many services-based company on the show, and I know that I'm, I'm assuming that you think of, of Nine Naturals mostly as a marketing company, but yeah. still, there's a there's a manufacturing component to the show and to the show to the to the to the product, yeah. um, of course. Like, you know, how do you uh, did you find? I mean, what parts did what parts did you manage, and and did you guys? Just give us a window into what it's like to be trying to, you know, match supply and demand when you've got manufacturing and retail, and, and I mean, and customers yeah. buying things online, etc. Yeah. Okay. I hate it. I hate. I hate <laughs> that part of the business, and that's my part too. Like I'm, so, like I, I was supposed to be tracking a lot of this and, and understand. It's so hard to do, Jeremy. I, I mean, especially like when you're in these early stages, because you, we still, we have. There are many things that are reliable that we can predict in our business. There are so many things we still can't predict. But yes, there's a heavy manufacturing component, and when it comes to manufacturing and product and, and product design and whatnot, and just like managing the products themselves, that's really Grace's end of things, and I would say that that Grace l pretty much at this point entirely oversees marketing. Um, earlier, we we worked on it more more together, and, and I think that's she had much more of a connection with the audience. I think much more of a natural passion for. Um, you know the the mission, which is like providing like premium, uh, natural 
parentheses, no toxins items to, to pregnant women who, you know, given all the information that's come out over the past like five to seven years, are pretty scared now. And not only are they pretty nervous about what they're using, they would like to also not have to take a major cut in the quality of what they're using. So she was deeply connected to this cause, and, and so it just, and, and she's also a mother. Um, I, I am not, and it, that, I think that that kind of messaging from the company was all really her, and the passion for beauty products was, was really her, and, and, and the ability to kind of work with the chemists and the formulators, I mean, this is not her her, she's not trained in this, but she's certainly become an expert through this. So she manages all of that. I manage the technology for the company. Um, a lot of the marketing, uh, kind of marketing analytics, marketing operations, I manage. Um, we actually have a, a, a full-time marketing person on board now who's taken over a lot of those roles. Um, but yeah, so we have, I, I basically would be the operations side of things. I, I mean, have there been moments where you just have run out of product and there's been a ton of demand? And yes. Yeah. I, that would, I mean, yeah. I think as someone who, um, I sort of have joked on with my own staff, like I'd rather I'd rather not have the clients than turn one away. Like it just kills me. Like I think with a with a startup like that, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I can, pardon me, I don't think I can handle it. Yeah. How do you, I mean, what, like, like what is the, if you run out of product A, like how, what is the fastest you can get it and, and, and meet that demand? I mean, it's so slow. Right. How you can launch an e-commerce site, you can launch a company through a tool like Squarespace today. Mm -hmm. You can be up and going tonight. You know that it, you can fix so many things. You can make so many things happen in technology. And I always knew it, but I didn't like. I mean, what I, I think about that every time we're six weeks out from. A shampoo delivery. Like, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! Because you get the bottles here, you have them printed there, and then you have all those shipped to wherever to get filled. Um, and in these, uh, you know, the ingredients that ha ha go into the product have to be ordered. So I will say on the side, you know, uh, there was a real opportunity here for anyone, you know, who's interested in, in kind of the logistics side of, of the manufacturing business. There's some really interesting companies in kind of the manufacturing of technology and hardware. Um, there is really room for companies that are like kind of to, to kind of revolutionize, improve, bring efficiencies in, in kind of every aspect of the manufacturing side of things. You know, how these warehouses communicate with each other, how printing gets done. That's a, it's a place that's really ripe for innovation. Um, but yeah, so uh, it takes it, it takes about six weeks. <laughs> and, and so you, you already alluded to this shift that you guys have had where you've, you've created this partnership with, uh, with the distributor. Um, how did that come about? And how did you decide like that 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 was a reasonable path for you? Uh, we were very, uh, I think self-awareness has been one of our real uh, assets and uh, in, in this business. We've been able to be very honest with ourselves about what we can do and, and where our interests are. Um, and we actually we kind of 
when else started looking for someone like this? And we actually were entertaining, you know, possibilities of selling um, the company. You know, it seemed we wanted the brand to continue. We wanted the brand to continue as it was in the sense that there would be absolutely, you know, that it would be an all natural line. Um, so there were certain things that we wanted to happen. And so we were talking with companies that were kind of, uh, th that would do that. I think there was, um, there was a moment when I think, I think it was Grace who had said, like said, I don't think we should let go of this. It's, it's not time. And, and, and I knew from what she was saying that it was, this was like deeper than, you know, any kind of valuation we were getting. And one of the, one of the kind of people we were talking to at the time said, well, why don't you license it to me? Like, keep the website, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, let us take retail. And the, you know, we knew that we were not doing, you know, we weren't wild about all that it was going to take to go into retail. And there was so much we didn't know. And there was kind of, we were kind of hitting a point where we were like, is this what we want to be? Or, or, you know, can we push this into retail successfully? We, we didn't think that we were necessarily the right people to do that. And then all the other options for getting those right people on board, all, all the other pathways didn't make much sense. So when this partner came to us and said this, and we had, had a very good relationship with him, we trusted him uh, immensely and still do. And so that's, it's been fantastic. It was the right move. Yeah. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. And so while managing Nine Naturals, you know, you launched Stackalist, which is a recommendation platform for software tools. Yes. Um, and you can yeah. find, a, find an inter interview with, with, uh, with us, MBA Mission, on, on the Stackalist site. And, yeah. Uh, Actually, a lot of um, the people that you have interviewed Nick are Taranto also... Nick Taranto from Plated. we got VFA fellow Tim Dingman. we got a whole bunch of other people who are Russ all... Russ from Doxen. Russ Sam Heddleston. Rosen. Beautiful. Um, Amol. Yeah. Amol Sarva. Okay. Yeah. Amol. I, I still owe that guy one. Listened to that interview. He pulled a fast one on me at the beginning. I was like, I think you've got the wrong Amol Sarva. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Amal. Thanks. It was like the longest pause in the history of the show. There's um, another Amanda Moskowitz out there who has like kind of a parallel path in her life as me, so I'm always kind of worried. Like, oh, I wonder if I got the right one. <laughs> I think I might have clicked on something here or there as I was doing my research, but I, I, I knew I, had, I, I, I knew that these questions were accurate. Amal taught me a lesson. Uh, but yeah, I noticed. I noticed a lot. There was a little bit of overlap between the show and, and Stackless, which is super. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Actually, I was thinking about this because I, I actually. You know, I went through the list. I think it's a, 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 like half of the people Unbelievable. you've interviewed. Um, and by the way, the interviews are just fantastic. Oh, come yeah, on. no, it's it's, it's great. <laughs> and and I, I heard that there have been a lot of downloads. There's been a real we had a little surge as of late, which is yeah. great. Yeah, we're really excited. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So um, we, I, I was thinking about this. I actually, I think it, it makes sense. I think that like we at Stacklist are you know out there asking people to please share, you right. know, in the same capacity. And, and you know, it. Uh, we also ask them to take X amount of their time to tell us about what they're doing so that other entrepreneurs can read or listen and, you know, uh, make wiser decisions when it comes to tools. So it's a, it's a more limit, it's a more niche, like, uh, part of what you're doing. But, but yeah, and I think it makes, so then suddenly it was like, yeah, this makes sense. Uh, you know, these people who kind of care about sharing um, and, and, and 
you know, donating their time to the community to, to some extent. I think it makes sense. Yeah, it's amazing that it's amazing um, if you just ask people, they'll they'll do it. They, they just ask nicely. Like we've had virtually there's only one person that I can think of who said no to us and like sort of with no reason <laughs> about about doing an interview. I mean, you know, like I, it's amazing. Oh, I want to know who that was. I'll tell you. <laughs> <after>. uh, <laughs> uh, it was surprising, um, and. Uh, uh, but I'll, well, I'll get off that that one that that grudge. But it was surprising. But like, virtually everyone says yes. I mean, have you uh, have you had? Uh, would you feel like you had a pretty high hit rate for asking people? Unbelievable. Um, I it actually took me a while to kind of comfortably take that off of the list of potential problems. You know, we were armed and ready for for so long to deal with that as an issue. You know, you kind of get past your immediate network of people. You know, you, you kind of know that they're gonna like help you out, right? Right. And then you know, then you get to kind of the next fifty people, and well, they all said yes too. Well, maybe maybe it's just because of some other you know factor that it wasn't thinking about. But then you know, we're starting to hit, like, you know we're well over three hundred people now, and it it no people are like people say extremely yes. generous. They people get why this is why we're doing this and people get that we are you know that that they put this in it's something that they'll benefit from if, if, if they can be started part of starting this culture of sharing the tools that you're using to grow it is something that will ultimately benefit them and, and they, they get that this has to start somewhere and so right. and just anything I, you know I, I think to your point um, just kind of the, the bigger thing is I think that happens a lot in the small business startup world and I would say especially in New York. I mean, this is where my experience has been, so my, you know, my scope is a little bit biased um, and skewed, rather. But it was not so long ago not a thriving community. It was not mm-hmm. so long ago a New York tech meetup where 100 people attended. You know, not so, like, six, six or seven years ago, there really wasn't much venture capital in this city. And so, you know, now it's uh, vastly different this community is thriving, um, but I think people have kind of retained that that appreciation that we we need to all be part of the things that might help the community. Yeah, I, mean, I think that exists even you know in other communities. Like uh, Judd Apatow just released this book of interviews that he did with all these famous comedians when he was like thirteen or fifteen or something like that on like an old fashioned radio show, and he would just call up like Jay Leno and Martin Short and Jerry Seinfeld, and they're like. Sure, kid. Why not? You know, I'll, yeah. come, I'll come on your show. And I think that like it's surprising how generous most people are your, uh, if, with your time. If it's like about sharing expertise and ideas, which is like really what Stacklist is is all about. So okay, so there are three there are three hundred of them up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so okay, maybe maybe just I mean it's a recommendation platform for software tools, but it's interviews with founders um, and CTOs um, talking about the software tools that they find to be most effective. Yeah, so we we interview founders, CEOs. Um, we are focusing really on the tools and services that startups use on the business side, and and we're pretty deliberate about that. And while we're you know really happy to speak to any CTO that wants to be part of this, we are asking about the business tools mostly. That's where our focus is because. The development side of startups, the development side of this community, that the tech development that is, has been very good at this for a very long time. The like pride that people have in their stack, the the kind of culture of sharing their stacks, that's been alive and well among developers for, well, I mean, for a long time. And so we 
the, what we're trying to do is kind of make sure that the, the, the other side of startups, to put it very simplistically, like there are two sides, um, but you know, that information is equally valuable on the business side. I think the one difference is just behaviorally speaking, you probably are more likely to have in developers a kind of passion for really analyzing products um, and a passion for product and, and whatnot. It might not be quite as strong when you're, you know, trying to get an email marketing program off the ground and you're, you know, head of marketing or you're choosing an HR tool. Well, th those are extremely important tools in your business. I think anyone would agree with that, but it's not as much fun to really like dig into the guts of like, right. <laughs> like this HR tool is really fascinating. Let me get let me get this up on Stack Overflow. You know, it's, it's not it doesn't have quite the same uh, resonance, but this needs to exist. People need to understand that like at five people, this ex HR provider is is great. Um, but once you hit 17, 20, like, you need to start moving on to someone else or you're going to face the same consequences as this entrepreneur who's telling you about, you know, why they grew out of, you know, the, 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 the first um, HR tool. It, it's just, it's, it's invaluable because it, it, these decisions are extremely high stakes at the early stages. They're decisions that have to be made quickly. They have to be made and we all have to you know, any entrepreneur has to be able to say, I'm making this decision and we're moving on, right? But it doesn't make them less important, you know, from a cash perspective, switching costs, time investment. So yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. It's, you know, make it pretty crystal clear for entrepreneurs to say, yeah, that's, you know, MailChimp or JustWorks or Tableau. Like, I see the reviews on this. I see the reviews from people I trust. I'm going to use this. I mean, right. That's, that's a pretty meaningful. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I am so quickly overwhelmed by all those choices and that you get into the, beyond just like the headline of it. I, I mean, I kind of joked before about rewind 15 seconds and you can listen to that description. I could probably look at that description of, of, uh, of shop text for like five hours and not not figure out even what it is, and so like, yeah. I I get overwhelmed by those technology decisions and anything that can make it easier for me or make me feel make me feel like I can be a little lazy and not get into too much trouble. Uh, that's me personally. I, I'm not suggesting that's what that's what Sackless is about, but I, I mean, that, that's very much welcome. And I think I think the research and you know you know having some knowledge about what you want out of a pro you know what are you solving you know regardless of what category you're looking at, it's important and it's important to do research and it's important to, you know, we would want anyone using Stackless to pretty much be reading all of the reviews from, you know, entrepreneurs that they think, you mm -hmm. know, have a good perspective. Uh, so I, we are not saying don't research this, but I would say like the diminishing returns um, that we have on the time we're investing and, you know, knowing which tool is best are, are pretty steep. So, right. um, and that's kind of where we're saying, no, there's, there's probably actually a pretty simple answer. And, you know, people are already, the way that they actually make this decision, regardless of how many hours of research they do, 70% of the time it comes down to them asking their friend. Right. So we're trying to bring that conversation Right to a more central place. We got deep into Stacklist, and uh, we sort of ended up riffing on on asking people uh, and and how generous they are. But just to make sure that it's clear, like you still have one foot in a, 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 maybe a, maybe a, a, a couple toes in, in the door at Nine Natural. Nine Natural uh, still. I would I would say yeah, more than far more than a foot, and um, okay. yeah, we I meet every week. Um, we it's you know it's. 
it's something that's still hugely important to me. It's it's not something that requires all of my time. I mean, right. it was absolutely time for me to pick out um, kind of what was going to be the next, um, you know, what it was. It was time for me to kind of select the next company or project for myself. And so, um, but but yeah, it didn't mean that you know, I needed to completely step out of Nine Naturals at all. Right. Uh, this is, I think it's pretty important to um, to be considering not only an individual business or as, as you're kind of brainstorming what you want to work on um, and what is interesting out there to work on. You have to be thinking about, like, the business of your life, you know, like, how am I allocating my time? You know, what, what do I want to be doing? And so, yeah. Are you, do you have those days, you know, sectioned off? Like, hey, today's a nine natural day? Or is it like for an hour you could be doing a stack list thing and then an hour you could be doing a nine naturals thing? How, how, yeah, flu- how fluid uh, is it? It's pretty fluid. And it has to be. I mean, there's a risk still a young company. I mean, all things considered, I mean, certainly stack list needs um, constant, I mean, you have to be constantly engaged. Um, we have, uh, you know, at any given time, just a ton of things happening. Um, we're starting to do more partnerships with entrepreneurship organizations, VCs, um, uh, co-working spaces, and, and accelerators. We're doing interviews so many every day. Um, we have people asking questions that we don't know how to answer yet. So, you know, trying to figure out, oh, yeah, that's a great question. What's the right. answer? And, it's a, and also, you know, serious, serious technology hurdles. Um, you know, uh, we are still kind of mastering like how to be a good content site and UX and, and stuff like that. So um, that's something it just takes up every minute of the day. That's it. I mean, Nine Natural still matters. And, right. uh, and so I'm, I'm certainly... Uh, regularly on a daily basis um, involved. Is there, I mean, is there any way to, to get around? Like, I, I feel like the process of interviewing, which I love, I mean, that's why we're here today, yeah. is, it, you know, it, it can still be cumbersome to organize, difficult to scale, I guess is what, I, is, is what I'm saying. Is yeah. there any way to, to, to automate any of that and still make it really rich and helpful? And, and Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, you can... Uh, uh, approximate similar you know you, there's a lot of value in the substance that we get from the interviews they're like hugely valuable the length of reviews we have is shocked me in fact that really threw off our whole hmm. all of our predictions about ux but it was a good it's a good problem to have people are effusive with you know um, their comments and that's wonderful so that substance and that depth of of the comments is really great um, and but you're right how many how much does this really scale? Um, it might not need to. So I'm just going to like hold on to that. There, th- I'm not like sold on we need to get to be doing a hundred interviews a day. I'm I'm not sure that that's actually what needs uh, to happen. Like at a certain point, happening. there is consensus that something is good. Yes, but there's also then you say, well, can you do it um, uh, more mechanically? And and I think yes, there is a pretty good possibility that will become part of how we collect information because even though you have substance on one hand, once you get numbers across thousands of organizations, that you start to be able to you know deduce pretty meaningful stuff. So that becomes, you know, do, do they, is it one instead of the other? Probably not. Um, but I, that's something we're seriously considering. Uh, certainly the level of interest we have is, is pretty substantial and we want to be poised to take advantage of that. And, um, you know, anyone who has these comments, we'd, we'd like to be able to listen to. Mm-hmm. And if that's in a survey, which some people might prefer, that might be the case. 
So Stackless is only a few months old at this point, yeah. and you have a few feathers in your proverbial cap. Uh, tell us about how Stackless has been received. Oh, it's been so exciting. Uh, we launched in mid-September, and uh, the next day we were number one on Product Hunt, hmm. which was great, and we were in the top 10 for the month. So that's been fantastic. Um, didn't really see, I'll be honest, we didn't really see that one coming. Okay. Um, and and uh, so that that was just great. And, um, you know, TechCrunch wrote a great article about us. Um, I think that the, the best feather in our cap is the considerable flow of, of really outstanding entrepreneurs who just want to be part of it. And I think that we really couldn't be prouder of that. And, and that's the kind of thing that we always want to be able to above and beyond we have to, we're responsible for making this something that people are very excited to be part of and want to be part of and we're kind of sticking to that as our our north star for the you know for at least the next 6 months um and I'd say that's the biggest feather in our cap. You chose to bootstrap Stacklist. Tell me about that choice, and, and I mean, especially you know, you're talking to so many companies of such wild amounts of funding. You know, yeah. was there any, um, you know, was there any yeah. thought to like, hey, let's let's really ramp this up quicker, and and can ra could, could raising money have helped you in any way? Sure. And those things are always like on the table as possibilities. You know, I, I think I think that one of the reasons we kind of went this direction is. One, you know, we had some questions about, you know, do we need this to be, does this, in, in order to provide the value that we're trying to build and provide, do we need, you know, $7 million do we, or, or a right. million, you know, and, um, and I, I kind of the hypothesis was no. And, you know, there are a lot of things, and we still might, there, there are, I think we kind of have right now four or five directions that could we could be going a year from now um, and you know we, we kind of have some some indicators we're looking for to kind of finalize that decision but but you know I, I think you know about half of them are would require some funding but we're very lean mm -hmm. uh, we're, we really are. So um, it's very doable um, when it comes to interviews. That that can be costly, certainly, but um, it's still worth it. The economics make sense right now to to kind of stay lean and um, keep, you know, the team as it is in control of you know the the, the direction for now. And uh, I think until we have that kind of concrete, you know, we know exactly how this community is going to, um, you know exactly how this will be utilized by the community. We we want to be able to have that kind of full say over what happens. Yeah, well, anyone who listens to the show knows that that's like music, of, music to my ears, and I'm like cheering, like, yeah, lean, don't sell any equity. I don't know, that's just that's just my, my soapbox always. You know, in fairness, I, I don't know of many, I, I can't think of a time right now where a, an entrepreneur has reported being just completely swindled in direction by their board or the people who invested in them. Sure. I mean, most of the, what I've ever heard has been pretty positive. You oh, yeah, know? for sure. People are on the same page. But I think, you know, we we have talked about nonprofit status. We've talked about, I'm talking like big picture, like what, what should the structure of the company be? And right. So right now, the goal is to make this a culture in the startup <clears throat> community of contributing your stack list. That's what, however we right. need to do that. So I, I think I told you we kind of have explored all of those directions. And um, for now, 
we're pretty happy with the way it's set up. But um, but those are options we want. Yeah, I, I didn't really worry about people being swindled per se. I just, I just I think that for a lot of people, sometimes the financing is the destination. Like they don't realize that that comes with responsibility and sometimes bureaucracy in dealing with boards. They lose say. You know, there's there's so yeah. many things that that come with come with selling a piece of the company. Um, you know, you just have other responsibilities, and it seems seductive. Uh, the, the environment had clearly tightened in the last little while, um, so it's not quite as easy even as it was a year ago. Um, but I feel like people are seduced by the by the by the big dollars and and don't do the diligence. Like, what's my what's the next day going to be like? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's also you know in some people in this. I, I think this happens kind of earlier in people's careers, but there's a certain uh, idea that you know raising funding is you know a, a milestone or, or a mark of success, and, and there are certain ways when, when that, where, where that's true. You know, often you have pretty smart VCs, and if they're saying, "Yeah, we'll bet on you," like that, that should be a compliment. You should right. you should take that as like a pretty flattering thing. But it's just not the only route to go. And right. and frankly, um, you know, I, I think now versus maybe three or four years ago entrepreneurs in this community are much more excited than they once were about like what we might call a cash flow business or you know it's uh, something that doesn't look like the tech company you know typical pathway so I, I think there's just a lot more um, interest now and and, and, and kind of open-mindedness about how you're going to grow your company, how funding is going to work, maybe a loan is better, things like right, that. So, right. or, or I'm wrong, and all of this is just something people are talking about more now, right. <laughs> but every, everyone was already doing it, I don't know. Right, or necessity is the mother of invention. It's, it's sort of being foisted on people as opposed to them talking about it because yeah. of the changing environment. Um, so last question, uh, you know, you're, you're curating, a, cur- curating a community that's like solving a problem with respect to business apps. Is there, are, are there other problems where you're like, Wow, that there needs to be a stack list for that, and there needs to be a stack list for yeah. that. Um, and can you can you no, share some is, other problems you're thinking the, of? This is the hardest part about our business, and I, you know, we began our conversation with the the you know chaos, and you know what direction will we go? And we don't, you know, should we go in forty three directions? I mean, the answer is no to that. But you know, it, it's like we see these problems every day. Um, oh, sorry, these these kind of opportunities slash problems. Every single day, something comes across our plate. We're like, "Oh my gosh, we are actually in a position to solve this." You know, this, geez, this needs to be solved. Like we're hearing about this repeatedly from different entrepreneurs. You know, it's just uh, we have, um, you know, on our plates now the opportunity to work with one of the very large tool companies to provide um, research for them. Uh, just hmm. kind of what we found, kind of Gartner esque kind of model, and you know, but we also have. Um, you know, kind of, we are starting to go into more uh, department-specific stack lists. Um, that's been something that we've been pretty interested in doing once we hit the 300-person mark, um, is, is kind of start going into more departments and companies that are over 100 people. You know, great, we'd love to do an interview with a founder, but we'd really love to do an interview with the head of HR, with the head of marketing, right. things like that. Um, 
So, uh, you know, we also see companies out there saying we're really struggling with this decision about, you know, we've, we've aged out of our data analytics platform. And, you know, we look at the site, we're like, uh, you know, we don't have our recommendation engine up. So there, there are many problems mm. that are really tempting to solve every single day. And I, I think that that's, I'm pretty sensitive to right now, you know, how to kind of stay this course of, you know, and then the revenue opportunities that, have, you know, j come our way. Uh, it's. I mean, it's thrilling. It's it's awesome. But you know, we're you know, we have to be smart about well, which one of these things is is the future of our business? Which one of these things is actually going to be how this becomes a a, a vast and deep culture among entrepreneurs that they that they will share this? How do we make sure that two years from now, anyone who calls themselves a part of this community, this startup world, wherever they are, you know, in the U.S. or outside, says, oh, I I have to. I have to share with everyone else that this worked or this didn't, um, because someone else would really value it. So we need to build that culture, and that's that's any. It's the things that will get us there that we have to prioritize. Well, you're leaving us on a, <clears throat> on a bit of a cliffhanger here. Is there, there are clearly a lot of paths that you that you could be choosing and, and directions you could be going. Um, yeah, and, and, but you're hearing me. I'm sharing with you everything that's on my mind right now. <laughs> you know, like the the things that are distracting and um, and. Uh, the next six months, expect us to get, you know, have a better product. We'll be able to improve uh, several things about our technology kind of based on what we've learned in the first three months. We're focused on getting better information, even better information than we have from more people and making it as accessible uh, to people on our site as possible. Um, so that's really our focus. Um, I, about this topic of where Stacklist is going, as well as so many thing, other things on this show, I worried I have gone way too deep into no, my personal all. opinions. Uh, I'm worried some days that we are going to you know, try to raise money and some, some investors are going to listen to this and be like, no <laughs> way. <laughs> well, Way too much info. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. And the clock is ticking on uh, on June, uh, what is it, the Jan, what's the Jan 5th or Jan 6th? Uh, so June, is that six months from now? Am I able to count properly? Yes. Uh, June, June 6th or something like that. We'll uh, check in and see what uh, what Stacklist looks like. Um, and I encourage anyone who's listening to, ch to check it out and, uh, and to yeah. uh, visit and and, uh, and make some of their decisions easier. And uh, Yeah, and if you're a, a founder or a department head who would like to set up a Stacklist interview, email me at amanda at stacklist.com and, and we'll set it up. And uh, thrilled to have you on there. No better way to end than that. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for being here, Amanda. Thank you. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.